welcome to the first episode of Arte Labor, a Blackburn Rovers podcast from the Lancashire Telegraph. I'm Elliot Jackson and I'm joined by Ryan Hildred. Ryan, we're back in action. Great to be doing the podcast again. Uh, thank you for once again joining me on this adventure. Oh, I'm delighted to be back and, and thank you for having me back on it. It's uh, It's been a little hiatus, hasn't it? But we're back and, and ready to chew over the fat of Rovers. So yeah, I'm, I'm buzzing with this and I'm really happy to be joining you again. So thank you. No, not at all. If you didn't listen to the uh, Inside Brockle podcast that we did before, um, then a little bit of a, a flavouring of what you can expect on this podcast. Every Monday, myself and Ryan will be sitting down to give you instant match reaction. If there's midweek games, we'll cover both games. Um, so once a podcast every single week, just talking about Blackburn Rovers, the big talking points from the week, the match action. We'll talk a little bit about my interview with Greg Broughton on today's pod as well. Uh, and preview the upcoming matches, which uh, Blackburn have got two, of course, this week, playing Sunderland on Wednesday night, and then a long old trek to Ipswich on Saturday, which will be a tough test. But let's get into it, Ryan, because Blackburn got all three points on Saturday against Middlesbrough. And they didn't make it easy for themselves, did they? I think they. Uh, you were just saying before we started recording that they managed to add another 10 years onto your, uh, or take another 10 years off, should I say, of your life expectancy, which even for me sat in the press box, it was the exact same just don't make things easy, do they? And they had so many big chances in the game that they really genuinely could have been four or five nil up before Middlesbrough got one back. Obviously, the first chance came within, I think it was about four minutes with Tyrese Dolan heading over. Lovely ball from Smodic around the corner for Callum Britton. Great cross and headed over by Dolan. Um, there was other good chances as well. Lewis Travis was denied by Senny Dieng, who really did keep Middlesbrough in it. But eventually they did get the breakthrough that they deserved. Um, and obviously it was a really special moment with all of Ewood Park already on the feet applauding uh, Matt Silito. I'm sure everyone's aware, but if you're not, Matt sadly passed away last month as the uh, at the age of 30, stadium announcer for Blackburn Rovers. Um, obviously the club made a, a huge deal of it at the time. There was the presentation of flowers from Lewis Travis to his sister who was in the away end against Watford. But this was the first home game back at Ewood Park since that uh, that tragic event. And Ewood was on its feet, commemorating Matt, applauding him. And sometimes things like things in football grounds can just make the hairs on the back of your neck stand up, can just give you goosebumps. And that ball from Hayden Carr into, well, initially Gallagher, who did a really nice dummy, touch from Smodix and fired into the corner. And whether you believe in that sort of thing, whether it's fate, whether it's fortune, it was it was a really beautiful moment. And, and in terms of the, the football itself, it was a, a goal that Blackburn thoroughly deserved. Yeah, let's uh, let's start there with Matt. You know, um, you know, my thoughts have always been with with his family uh, since that tragic news, and um, yeah, just weird, weird things happened in football, and I, I felt quite honoured actually to be in the stadium at that point. Um, it was a wonderful moment, just seeing the whole ground just stand up and applaud Matt and his image on the big screen, and then when Smodic scored, it was just I've never felt anything like that in a football ground before because you usually get the elation the ecstasy the you know Rovers had started that game really well and, and got the you know the the goal that we deserve but I had a different feeling when that one went in it was it was really poignant it was emotional it was as you say you know hairs on the back of your neck standing up so just what a wonderful way to to salute just a, a top round great guy so um, I'm really pleased it went in like that and I don't think I've ever seen that in football before actually because I think it's a fairly recent thing isn't it to have you know applauses and things around different football grounds I've never seen that happen before and I've certainly never seen it happen for someone who is just so dearly missed by the Rovers fan base so yeah just just perfect in that regard um yeah in terms of Rovers and the game actually felt quite anxious going into this game because Middlesbrough haven't started the season very well, but we know they are a good side. And I think the mood in their fan base and probably Carrick was probably thinking, right, we've had the international break. We've not started too well. Let's go and hit Blackburn at, at Ewood Park. And, um, you know, they, they took a lot of fans as well. So I, I felt quite nervous about what type of response that, that we'd get from Middlesbrough and the type of game that we'd have. But I've got to say, from the first whistle, Rovers were absolutely brilliant that first half performance was probably our best first half of the season I would say I think we made Middlesbrough look very very ordinary 
and they had some good players on the pitch on Saturday. Lewis O'Brien, I thought, actually played pretty it's, decent. It's nice that if Blackburn Rovers fans finally got to see Lewis O'Brien play. <laughs> yeah, it's, that's it. What, nine months nine months later than planned? But uh, <laughs> they got there in the end. You're totally right, though. I think the most impressive thing for me was how high they pressed Middlesbrough. It was really yeah. brave against yeah. the Middlesbrough side last season who came to Ewood. I know Buckley obviously got sent off in, in that fixture around Christmas, but they dominated the ball. They wanted to assert themselves. Rovers did that on them. They pressed them really high and... The start, in particular, that first 20 minutes, half an hour, and the first half in its entirety, in honesty, they were absolutely brilliant. They're so well coached and so good to watch. I made the point on Twitter um, on Sunday, I think it was, there was no new signings in the Blackburn Rovers 11. And I mean that as a compliment because it just shows in 12 months and how much it is night and day in those performances. And I think the biggest compliment you can pay to Yondal Thomason and, and the players as well who've got to go out and um, put his practices into into the match is the fact that he's improving players. Pretty much everyone in that style of it, I think you could say, has improved under mm-hmm. Yondal Thomas's stewardship. And they're so well coached between both boxers. There's some of the intricate football in the first half. There was one where got played into Dolan, played a quick one-two with Smodics, and he, he fired it over. Or it might have been Smodics actually into Dolan, and then Smodics fired it over. But it's it's quick, it's intricate, and it's exciting. It gets fans on the feet and. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's a young squad and there's going to be mistakes and there's going to be bad performances, probably more likely to be away from home, if anything. But if you're playing attractive football in the way that they did in that first half and in the second two, you're going to win a lot of favours from fans and they're going to excuse some off moments, which are going to happen for this group. It's a young group. But that first half, I thought, was was exemplary, to be honest. Yeah, and I- the word bravery that you used, it was a brave performance because Latte Lass, I thought, was a constant threat all game. And his pace in behind was a real concern for Rovers. So you're right that we were brave to to step up and do what we were doing because with the right ball, he was through, you know, and, and he would have been behind us. So absolutely brilliant. And what JDT is getting out of this squad at the moment is nothing short of, of, of fantastic. And it's funny you mentioned the, the squad and things as well, because actually before the game, I was looking at thinking... We've got options today. We've got mm. some real options. You know, Talalovic was on the bench. and we you know you this... throw Ennis and Sigurdsson back into that squad as well. So exactly. Your players are going to miss out, as they already yeah. did. At the and Tron- yeah, Tronstad didn't make the squad. So I sat there and thought, yes, we're going to not have this all the time because we're going to get injuries, we're going to get suspensions, etc., etc. But it really showed that with a bit of luck this season, with a bit of luck with injuries, with a bit of luck with the suspensions, if we can keep the right players fit, you know, if Harry Pickering was to get injured, for example, that creates a bit of a problem. But if we have the right injuries in the right places, with a bit of luck, you know, we should be aiming for the top six in that regard. So I sat there before the game thinking, yeah, we've got we've got a good squad. And yeah, the first half performance, I think the real travesty was it was only 1-0. You know, that was my overriding feeling at halftime that how is this only 1-0? Ty Dolan's header, he should score, plain and simple. You know, let's not dress it up any other way. You know, you can freeze that image and you can see the open goal with Ty Dolan a few yards out. He should score that header. Likewise, Sam Gallagher should have scored his header. You know, we have spoken on I the other podcast. I forgot he was playing Middlesbrough because he turns into prime R9 <laughs> usually when he's, when he's playing against the T-Siders. He does, he does. And we've spoken on the other podcast about what Rovers would need this season. You know, losing Brereton Diaz, losing Bradley Dax. Someone like Sam Gallagher has to step up and and contribute with more goals. That is a bread and butter striker's goal right there. And and it was a poor miss in that regard. So It's it's interesting you just took a touch on the goal scorers there because I wanted to talk about Sam Smodix in that regard. Because, interesting, I was looking through some of his numbers of last season. He only got seven goal contributions last year. I think it was five goals and two assists. He's already on five in six games with four goals and an assist. So he's nearly already matched last season's tally, which last season's tally he would be disappointed with. He would always expect to beat that, don't get me wrong. But again, it just shows that I do think he can score goals. I do think, I'm not sure he's, an, he's, I'm not sure he's a natural goal scorer in terms of the sense of he's going to get you 15, 20 goals. But I do think he's probably Rover's best finisher at the club now, I would say, inside the eight. If you said the ball's going to fall to someone inside the 18-yard box or on the edge... Who do you want to put it in? I think I would go to Sam Smodix at, at the moment. Obviously, we've not seen Telalovic in, in full uh, flight, nor Niall Ennis. But he, from every interview, I've not interviewed him yet this season myself, having obviously not been in the fold, but um, every interview I've watched or listened to with Rovers TV or beforehand, 
he he really wants to assume that that mantle as the, the the go-to man. He wants to step up. He wants to be the leader for this team. I know he's been elevated into the leadership group this year with along with Sam Gallagher that Jon Thompson consults with in the dressing room. So he's already on five for the season, and that's a great start. And he took both goals really well. The second one, I think, I think you'd be a little bit disappointed if you sent it DM because he's got a big hand on it. But that's no slight on um, on Smodix as well. Could have had a hat trick, but again, it was a very good save. He almost had too too much time, I think, with that one. Where I think the more instinctive finishes are probably easier for him, um, whereas he almost had too much time with that one. And it's a great save, but he could have had a couple of assists as well um, in that game. And he, he's he's proving that he he is certainly stepping up. And in this opening six games, he has looked really lively. I'm really pleased you've raised him. You know, the Rovers fans love a talisman. There's always someone each season who the Rovers fans are singing the names of and he's the one who's on the back of the kids' shirts. And after losing Dak and Brereton Diaz, you know, who was going to be the person to step up? Sam Smodic has absolutely acquired that mantle. If I forgive him the Rotherham pass aside, Sam Smodic is someone who I just think makes the right decisions every time on a football pitch, whether it's a, a good pass, whether it's the through ball, whether it's the tracking back, whether it's the things he's doing in midfield. And as you say, whether it's the goal involvements this season, I think he's taken his game to another level this season. And if it is that leadership element that you were talking about, that he's been brought into that group, he's absolutely grown into that role and you can see it with the way that he plays on the football pitch. And do you know what? I think the... Um, the moment where we saw the birth of Sam Smodic was when he put the ball in the net at Bramall Lane. I think that was the birth of him in this role for Rovers. Unless he showed... before that or after that? Um, possibly just, before that. But before I thought the Leicester game, he really came of age as well. He did. But I think what he showed for me at Bramall Lane was he's got 6,000 Rovers fans behind that goal. And he showed that he's got the bottle and he's got the mentality to do what we need him to do for Rovers by slotting that ball away. And I think he's absolutely carried it through the back end of last season and into this one. And he is such an important player for us now. As I say, with that overall decision-making, and with that ability to find the back of the net. And I'm gutted that he didn't get that hat trick. It would just would have been deserved it, really, for the performance. He did. And I'll just agree with you as well on the finishing. I think your assessment's spot on. Yes, you wouldn't say he is a, a natural-born finisher like you would say Jordan Rhodes, etc. But he absolutely is our best finisher. And he is the person who I would be trusting one-on-one, -on -one, apart from, obviously, Middlesbrough on Saturday. <laughs> he got two. We'll, we'll let him off with that one. In terms of other um, standout perform, oh no, actually, we'll, we'll talk about the the offside goal actually first. M uh, Middlesbrough, that last half an hour was pretty mad, weren't it? Let's let's be fair that it was end to end. Once Middlesbrough, I thought Middlesbrough were really blunt and looked a bit short of confidence and ideas, which you can understand why they were, given the run that they've been on. I, I do think Middlesbrough coming into the game had probably deserve more points from their performances, but similar to Rovers, but to an even larger extent, haven't been able to finish their dinner and have been very, very poor defensively, um, which I wouldn't accuse Rovers of. Um, but until they got themselves back in, they'd not really had a lot. It's miles offside, isn't it? I, d I don't know how he gives it. You know, when you look at something, you're just like, that doesn't look right. Um, I was talking to Andy Baines, Baines after the game and he, he literally said in commentary, and Crooks puts the ball in and he's off, but he's, he's going to get flagged for offside. And the flag just never came. And I was watching the linesman because you, you, your eye was immediately drawn. He was pointing to a Rovers defender. I wasn't sure who it was. It might have been Pickering, I'm assuming, from the replays. So he clearly felt he played offside, but he's, he's miles off. I would love to see it. I haven't seen an angle yet from sort of the reverse side, which gives you an even clearer view. But you can see even from the stills where it's facing uh, the goal from the away end that he's clearly stood like on the line of the six-yard box and Pickering, if it, I think it's Pickering, is is in front of that, so playing him offside. So that was a real like, uh, game-defining moment because Middlesbrough then did massively come into it. And if it had finished 4 all from that point, I don't think anyone could have argued. If Rovers had gone on to win 5-1 and took the chances, I don't think anyone could have argued. There was 36 shots in the game. And although Senny Dieng was the, the busier of the two goalkeepers, Pairs had to make some... Good, uh, good interventions. There was a really good tip wide from a Lewis O'Brien shot. Um, there was the one at the end where your heart was really in your mouth, where Lati Laff is running through and he just overruns it. And, you know, we've been critical at times of Ainsley Pairs for not being aggressive enough to come off his line and play that high line, which uh, Thomas Kaminsky did so well. Well, he was decisive off his line. He came, took the ball and it was the right decision because that was a big chance really at the end. But then equally from Rover's point of view, you've had Smodic clean through one-on-one. -on -one. Ryan Hedges 
denied at the back post and then also with that curling strike as well, which Dieng saved. So it really could have been 4 all. Rovers could have won 5-1. But certainly for 60 minutes, they were by far the better team and, and it, it would have been a bit of a travesty. But equally symptomatic of Blackburn Rovers had they not got across the line. Just on the Crooks goal, let's just hold this for what it actually is. It's an absolute disgrace of a decision. It's you know, a I'm joker, not, isn't it? I, I am not going to dress this up in any way, shape or form. I've just ran the line yesterday for my lads under 12 side. And that is the type of offside flag that amateur referees are expecting of a parent on the sideline. That's not a hard decision to make. That is one of the He's easiest. He's even got decisions. the lines to help him because that's Absolutely how you can see right. it from the still. Absolutely right. So that is not even a hard decision to make. I have a lot of sympathy for referees and officials at the moment with VAR and the confusions over handballs and all of those types of things. But I am not defending them in any way, shape or form for that decision. It is a disgrace of a decision. And you're right. In real time, there were two things for me. Uh, The first is I was in the Jack Walker lower on Saturday in a slightly different place with my boys. And Crooks just looked like he was stood right on Ainsley Pears from where I was. And you're right. I was expecting it to be. It's the flagged. fact no one's near him either. Like his notions yeah. that he just exactly. Like, he's got to be offside. And I could see that. And the second giveaway was: this is a goal for Middlesbrough in front of three and a half thousand fans. Their fans didn't even celebrate that wildly because I think they thought it was offside. The noise they made wasn't a kind of "Yeah, we've got a goal back." It was "Oh, that's going to be offside." And then it was like, "Hang on, it's been given." So there were so many giveaways for the officials. It was a disgrace. And do you know what? 2-0 is always a dangerous lead in football and we can't fully blame the officials with this. We should have been out of sight. Make no yeah. bones about it. We've spoken about the chances for Gallagher and Dolan first half. Uh, Dolan actually had a chance in the second half where he could have pulled it back for Sam Gallagher. You should have squared it. You're absolutely right. should have squared it. You know, we were very, very wasteful and we've spoken about this at other times this season. Uh, the whole game where we uh, miss chances and then they go on to win the game. We've had the Plymouth game in the first half where we don't take our chances. And even the West Brom game, you know, we made that unnecessarily nervy at the end. So, you know, Rovers thankfully have come out the right side of the result uh, this time around. But you know, we've got to take our chances and we've got to be more clinical, but we can't fully blame the officials. But that goal for Middlesbrough, you know, it happens all the time in football. They get the one back. Their tails are absolutely up. And do you know what? I thought Rovers did really well on the whole to just ride that and be resilient. Like we did against West Brom, actually, on the first game of the season. I thought the first 20 minutes of the first game of the season, we had to be really resolute and stand up and be counted. And I thought Rovers did the same, albeit, yes, they've had some chances, a magnificent save, I've got to say, from Ainsley Pears from the Lewis O'Brien chance. I thought that was in. And I think the Middlesbrough fans thought it was in. And, you know, in real time, I hadn't realised he'd saved it uh, just because it looked like O'Brien had curled that in. But I thought, on the whole, we stood up and, as you say, created our own chances as well. So, um, yeah, really pleasing for us to get over the line. But a combination of our wastefulness and a shocker of a decision from the officials made this game unnecessarily nervy. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I, I wrote something on um, on Sunday, which is in today's paper, about the approach that Blackburn Rovers went for. They're going to have to embrace chaos in these games. And Jon said after the match, I'm not sure whether I take this fully at face value, but he said he'd rather win 5-3 than 1-0. I'm not sure the defenders would agree with that, that's for sure. But they're going <laughs> to have to play open football, be chaotic, because chance creation is not an issue for, for Blackburn Rovers at all. But being clinical is, and therefore they're going to have to flood more bodies forward. They're going to have to commit plays because it might take them two, three, four big chances to put the ball in the back of the net. But that just makes for end-to-end basket. It was just a basketball game in that final half an hour, say 36 shots in total. But Rovers are going to have to adopt that philosophy because they are not built to play fine margin football and sit back and hope for one chance and take it like they could a little bit at the start of last season when you've got Brereton Diaz in his best form, refreshed after the summer, um, Bradley Dak, when he was at his best, he's obviously someone that can sniff a goal. They've got more. They've got players that are more fluent now, but probably not. They're not proven championship goal scorers. That's not unfair to say. Thomason said it enough times. So they're going to have to play more chaotic. It's it's a risk, but it's it's great to watch. It's brilliant for a neutral as well. It's going to give you a heart attack, but you're going to be entertained. And I think that's what Blackburn Rovers fans are just going to have to saddle up for this season because they're going to need to push bodies forward to create the chances to have more players in goal-scoring uh, positions because they've not got quite that that proven player um, that's going to do that. So that's just the way it's going to be. And I think we'll see, particularly Ewood Park, I think we're going to see a lot of that. 
I think we will. And it's amazing the difference in 12 months, isn't it? This time last season, we're talking about Rovers winning 1-0 with XG I got, through the I think glory. they got the lowest XG in the championship after yeah. three, one or three games. Yeah, not creating chances and, and just holding on in that regard. Um, my heart won't forgive me for saying this. I think I'd prefer it this way around as well. You know, we're getting the entertainment. I think and you do, yeah. You do. And it's great to just see this young crop of players just playing with so much confidence. You know, as much as, yes, we've just spoken about the wastefulness, everything leading up to that point looks really nice. It's great football and, and lads are wanting to get get forward and, and contribute in that regard. But do you know what? It's the Rovers way. It always has been the Rovers way. You know, I beg for the day where we can just win a game like Saturday, where we dominate in the way that we do. It's 3-0 after 60 minutes. I can sit there with my boys and think, yeah, this job's done. It's just the Rovers way to add years or take years, sorry, from my life expectancy and, and just put me through the ringer in that regard. And it's always funny looking at my phone app uh, as to what my heart rate goes to whenever I watch Rovers. <laughs> it's quite dangerous, actually, at times. But um yeah, it's you can forgive a group of young lads who are still, you know, 13 months into a manager's instructions for for what's happening. But we can only forgive them when we come the right side of the result, because I would have been apoplectic on Saturday had we not got the win with the way that we played for the large majority of that game. And I wouldn't have. Yes, I might have blamed the officials a little bit, but actually I would have been blaming the wastefulness in front of goal. Yeah, Absolutely. In terms of the players that stood out, I want to talk about Callum Britton because I thought he was absolutely excellent. Um, I gave Sam Smodic's man of the match and a nine in my player ratings, but Callum Britton certainly was a close second. I thought he was excellent. And again, it's I think we've all felt over the last um, six months since he came back from injury that he's too good to be sat on the bench, really. But he's he's you know if you think about Callum Britton, he's had a really stop start um, career at Blackburn Rovers with injuries. He never really suffered with injuries before he came as well. But he's been fit for a while now. He obviously couldn't get in the team because Joe Rankin-Costello was playing so well, and rightly so. There's got to be a way to get them both in the same team, isn't there? I, I actually think that Ryan Hedges plays better with Callum Britton at right-back as well because Callum Britton is more of a natural right-back that's going to hold his width a little bit more. He goes on those overlapping runs. You saw it with the chance for Tyrese Dolan where I'm not sure Rankin-Costello makes that run because he makes more inverted runs. And that's sort of the space that Hedges wants to come into, if that makes sense. So having Britain on the overlap, it gives Hedges another option. But you've got to get Rankin Castell in the team as well. I'd rather have Rankin Castell at right back than not in the team. I'm not saying that. But Britain's got the shirt at the moment. It puts it probably puts a little bit more pressure on Harry Pickering as well, to be honest, because Britain can play on that left-hand side as well. It was really good to see him back. I interviewed Callum after the game, um, which a piece I'll be writing this afternoon. He's, he's a really good lad, really good talker. He just wants to play football. He really likes it at Blackburn. Ever since he's come in and I've interviewed him a few times, the message has always been, I love it here. I want to just be playing regularly. He wants to keep himself fit. And I thought he was excellent. And you can't help but be pleased for someone like that when they've had struggles with injuries. They've been unfortunate that the best player in the team probably in the in 2023 has been the other right back. Because otherwise he'd be in the team. And he should be in the team. And it's up for Thomason to try and find a way of doing that. Whether that's ranking still going into midfield... I think Lewis Travis has started the season quite well, but that would be where you'd put ranking Costello. It's a really difficult dilemma. It's not a bad one to have either because, you know, you want competition for places, but I think it would be harsh on Travis to put JRC in that role. It would be harsh for ranking Costello not to be in the team and it'd be harsh to take Callum Britton out. It's really difficult. And this is why we are not paid to be the manager and JDT is. No, um, I'm happy to watch. <laughs> a few things on this. Um, just another absolute testimony to what JDT does with this squad because it would have been very easy for Callum Britton to sulk and not contribute, etc., etc. But he's come in and he's taken his chances. And we've seen that with other players that have either been not frozen out, but they've found their time out of the starting 11, out of the squad. And then when they've come in, they've contributed. Sam Smodic, we've just been talking about, for example, he did his time last season has come in and he's now one of the first names on the team sheet. So it's another hat off to what JDT does with this group of players to keep them all motivated, keep them all part of the group, know that their chances are coming and brilliant from Callum Britton. And I'm really pleased that you've raised him because that is exactly how I assessed him. I love how direct he is. I think with uh, JRC, we just get that little different flavour, that kind of modern right-back, don't we, as you say, with the inversion. But I do like the traditional old fullback that just bombs down that line. And that is absolutely what Callum Britton brings to the party and brings to the table. 
I think the other things he did really well on uh, Saturday as well, when it looked like was under a bit of danger or a bit of threat, he's really good in those tight areas at just finding a little one-two and then getting it away. I thought he really helped out defensively on Saturday as well, as, as much as we've just waxed lyrical about his... Uh, Probably his worth mentioning his defensive side as well, because he's played predominantly He played predominantly as a wing-back at Barnsley. So it is, is a big adaptation going into a back four again. Um, because you do have more of a defensive responsibility. Probably not in this team, given how adventurous they are. But it is worth noting that he's not a liability defensively at all. No, I thought he was very, very good on Saturday. And, and as I say, helped us with those tight areas. On then what you do with uh, with JRC and, and Lewis Travis in particular, Travis has got, a, has got to start games. I think Travis has been brilliant this season. I was quite open with some of my criticisms about Travis at the back end of last season. Absolutely fair play to him. I think he has raised it again this season and is the dynamic all-action midfielder that we know and love in Lewis Travis. I'd love to see him get a few more goals or I'd love to see him do a few more things in an attacking sense. But in terms of his engine in the middle of the park, I think Lewis Travis is has been really great this season. And I just think a midfield of JRC and Adam Wharton... I'd maybe have some reservations about with that. Yeah, and Smodics as well. If you combine them as sort of a free, it, it could it. be a little bit lightweight at times, maybe. Yeah. So I think really, I think you're right to bring Harry Pickering into the equation as much as I also think Harry Pickering is a Me real, un, he's an unsung hero of this team. Actually, I think Harry Pickering, I it think gives he gives them just, the balance out in possession and with the left foot. It's almost as like a third centre-back when they, when they move into that shape. He does. So I wouldn't be making a call here to say JRC right back, Callum Britton left back, because I think that that's disrespectful to Harry Pickering. Can so we play I think... 12 players? <laughs> Is that possible? I think JDT now just needs to speak to the three of them to say you three are competing with each other and based on the game, on the opposition, etc. I will be playing two out of the three of you and, and that's how I'd be doing it. But Callum Britton is well in the equation now and it was great to see a, a, a great performance from him. What were your first impressions of Semir Telelovic? Um, he got a half, he got a good half an hour in fairness because Gallagher obviously went off with a knock. Um, I've seen some suggestions he looked a little bit raw. I, don't, I didn't really see much much of that. The, the only really big opportunity he had to create, he put Smodic's clean through on goal with a great pass. So mm. he's going to take a little bit of time to adapt. Of course he is. But you look at his record, he's a goal scorer. And Blackburn Rovers mm. you know, have been good at developing goal scorers, even from the lower leagues when they brought them up historically. Um, I know he's not played in England before. I interviewed him on last week as well. Really nice lad. His English is excellent. Uh, Greg Broughton joked in the interview that it's better than Lewis's tra- Lewis Travis's, which was, <laughs> which was funny. Um, but yeah, he's great. He's moving to Manchester already. He wants to really embrace the culture as well as um, obviously the football side of it. Because it, in his own words, you know, if he invests in the off the field stuff, it will make him a better player on the pitch, he believes. So I'm excited to see what, JDT can do with him in terms of coaching as well. He's got Gallagher as well, who will take probably the brunt of the the pressure in terms of being the more experienced striker in that group. Got Niall Ennis to come back in, Harry Leonard. Um, so I, I thought he did all right. You know, I I, I'm not, I don't think we can expect huge things early on. He's going to take a bit of time to adapt. Yeah. Um, so in terms of first view, I think in terms of his kind of physique and raw attributes, very similar to Sam Gallagher. You know, he looks like a striker who should cause problems at championship level and be able to put himself about. Apparently he's rapid as well, but we didn't really yeah, get a chance to see that. We didn't on, really uh, see that. Saturday. But obviously we've spoken about Sam Gallagher being the model striker that you would design and, and not necessarily doing the business in front of goals. So we'll see how Talalovic does in that regard. Um with where I sat on Saturday, he actually warmed up in front of me and my boys on Saturday and he was loving it. He loved warming up in front of that. He's a unit set. as well, isn't he? he like is. You see he him did. in front of you and you're like, yeah, I'm going to fight. <laughs> He, uh, he was warming up in front of that vocal section of the Blackburn end and you could just see that he was absolutely drinking all of that stuff in the way that he was bouncing around doing his warm-up so he was ready to come on I think potentially he's come on in quite difficult circumstances on Saturday you know Middlesbrough have got the goal back Sam Gallagher's got the injury and maybe he's come on before what JDT had said to him and it was a real shift that he had to put in and he didn't really touch the ball that much because he's basically chasing blind avenues and trying to close down the Middlesbrough centre-backs as they're putting pressure on us. And and that's a, a tough old slog, isn't it? But you're right, his link-up play, when he did you know, um, have the opportunity to to get involved, lovely through ball for Sam Smodich. There were a couple of other little through balls that he did as well. So he seems like he's going to be a striker that might do something like what Harry Kane does, for example, that little drop-off into the pocket 
if we can get runners beyond, he'll he'll be an intelligent player that might be able to find them. So very, very harsh for people to judge him on half an hour against the Middlesbrough side that have just got a goal back and, and start pressing us at the Darwin end. And, you know, it'll I'm sure we'll see some good things to come from Tilalovic because I think he just appears to have all of the raw components to, to be good at this level. Might be straight from the start on Wednesday if... Uh... If Sam Gallagher's not fit, of course, although Harry Leonard will, will be putting his uh, his hat in the ring for that as well. Let's move away from the game now, Ryan, and talk about some of the headlines from last week. Um, obviously, Greg Broughton sat down with local media, including myself, uh, one-on-one. Again, big thank you to Greg for his time. It, you do get really good access at Rovers, which you, you don't get at all clubs, particularly with Greg doing interviews before and after transfer windows. It's not at every club, so I don't think that should be taken for granted. That said, it's it's an opportunity for, for me and for Radio Lanks and Rovers, well, less so Rovers TV because it's in-house, but uh, to scrutinise, to ask fair questions, which I think did. There's obviously a lot more to come out from that interview that hasn't been as of yet uh, from myself, certainly. What were your sort of overriding feelings from speaking to him? Uh, and what what's your view been on, I suppose, the chaotic summer? <laughs> Uh, first and foremost, I think Greg Broughton always comes across and, and speaks in a really great manner. You know, let's all not have short memories as Rovers fans. When this club was taken over by the Venkies, you know, there was a real black hole of information. There was a real dearth of stuff being communicated to the fans. And in some respects, that's taken a long time to rebuild to the point where we've got Greg Broughton now. So I think he's owned some of the mistakes and owned some of the things that have happened. You know, the largest one being Lewis O'Brien, for example, that we've just spoken about. I think he, um, I think he's clear in what he's communicating. I think he's clear about what happened on deadline day that there was potentially another signing and it didn't happen. So, um, I really value the fact that that Greg Broughton does that and and obviously gives us that snapshot into to what's going on in the the recruitment department. In terms of the chaos of the summer. Yeah, obviously not helpful, all the Indian tax stuff that's going on at the moment. And, you know, who knows what the reasons are for that. I've heard various stories about what it could be and and what it's in relation to. But the cold, hard truth is Venki's money goes less far now. So we have to adjust and respond accordingly. I would say give Greg Broughton some credit in this situation to keep JDT on board and on side with, you know, the project as it's been called with less cash. Because JDT, make no mistake, is hot property at the moment. He will absolutely have admirers in the Premier League and at the top end of the championship with the way that Rovers are playing, uh, you know, with the relatively little cash that we've got. So the fact that Greg Broughton um, has been able to obviously communicate to JDT, explain what's going on, maybe talk about the future and keep JDT motivated. You can see that in the way that he's talking after games now. I think really fair play to Greg Broughton. Um Yes, it's unfortunate what's happened. Uh, I would have loved another couple of signings. I would have loved to have to have spent a bit more money. But do you know what? There's other factors at play here. We can't force Ash Phillips to sign a contract. I'm really sorry happen. for him with that when yeah. Greg went into the complexities of the, the fact that they sat down at Easter. For anyone that's not read the piece, sat down at Easter. Ash had to play a certain amount of minutes, not appearances, minutes, and it would have triggered a higher release clause, if that makes sense. So it was two million in the end he went for with add-ons and with sell-on fees to come. But I don't know what I think. I think he said the word double, but I don't know. I don't want to say put words in his mouth. I'm trying to remember from memory, and I have slept since then. I think he said it would have doubled, and it, this was not a case. He stressed it wasn't a case of chucking him on for the final five minutes. It would have been right. He's going to have to start. I don't know eight of the last ten games, etc. And they made the decision they weren't going to do that. They weren't going to do that. So, yes, they lost a little bit with that. But I I, I just do not think in any organisation you can be held to ransom in that way. And Yondal Thompson cannot be put in a position where he's got to consider contract clauses as part of his team selection. So I absolutely think the club made the right decision. It was a unanimous board decision, Greg said. Um, I felt really sorry. I, I, like They would have got about 200 grand for him had he not signed that contract. So, yeah, we all think he's worth more than £2 million, but it's still a big uplift on what they could have got. Yeah, and let's all not have short memories. We were all waxing lyrical about Carter and Hyam at the back end of last season. If Ash Phillips then starts coming in as a 17, 18-year-old... and Mike made one... team, Hayden Carter had been fantastic. 
Absolutely. Like pushing Ash Phillips, you know, way beyond what we've done with Hayden Carter, where you send them out on loan and you develop and then you bring them in. There was absolutely no case to be made for Ash Phillips. So if that's the case, so be it. You know, we've led ourselves now to a path where the release clause is in and that's unfortunate. We also then can't help the fact that David Rea looks like he's going to Arsenal on a permanent deal and then Premier League clubs start looking after each other and putting arms around each other. We can't help that. So, yes, we've had to readjust plans now. And with what I've seen on the pitch, with what I see JDT get out of this squad, with the options that I saw us have on Saturday, with the positivity that's around the club, that's the stuff that I focus on at the moment. The owners are still the owners. The damage has still been done. There are things off the pitch that I would love to be better. There are things about the club that embarrass me. They are still things that have always been there for the last 10 years. Nothing changes in that regard. So as much as the summer could have gone better, I'm actually focusing on a group of lads that I can see are really playing for this manager. There is a clear strategy off the pitch led by Greg Broughton in terms of recruitment. And I really hope that, you know, Adam Wharton, if slash when he is sold, might just be the one that once and for all changes the direction of travel for Rovers, that we finally get the money that we deserve for one of our prized assets that's reinvested back into the squad and that cycle starts and we really become an effective trading club. You know, JDT and Greg can only go with the pawns that they've got on the chessboard at the moment, which is not much cash and not many players being sold for fees. That's the whole cold, hard reality of the situation at the moment. And I'm pretty certain that if, when Adam Wharton is sold, if he follows the path that he should do, that'll be the one that changes the direction. It's worth adding as well, the David Ray deal is going to be worth around £5 million to Blackburn Rovers as and when it goes through. Now they've got to wait for that money. It's not obviously going to land in one lovely bank transfer, but that's going to help. The TV new TD deal that's going to come in from next year um, will be a big uplift on what they're getting paid currently. So that, that all those go in the melting pot and help with financial fair play, help cover some of the black hole that the Venkis have to write to the tune of around £20 million every year. Um, I did ask... One, uh, I asked Greg Brown. I did think one thing that Jon always was speaking about proven championship players in terms of goal scorers. I don't ever really think that was realistic, if I'm being honest, considering they went in with no transfer budget. Yes, the wage bill was initially the same. Then it gets cut by 15%. And I said, I did say this to Greg. I said, was it ever really realistic that you were going to be able to acquire players like that? And he went through a few options with strikers without naming them with profiles. And it was, it was a, an in-depth discussion. It was interesting. And when I do release the interview in full on this feed. Everyone will be able to to hear it and see what I mean. But it was really interesting. And he's prepared to go into detail that not a lot of people will, will do. It's one thing to front up and do interviews, but there's never nothing ever off the table. I don't walk in and they go, you can't ask this, this and this. It's sit down, how are you? And we get straight cracking. No no, no agendas. Um, and I just think it's really good. I do feel, again, I thought they got a little bit harshly criticised with the John Buckley decision. Yes, I personally think John Buckley should be playing for Blackburn Rovers or he's good enough to be in the squad. If the head coach isn't picking him, it is Greg Broughton's responsibility to continue his development. Buckley wanted to go out on loan. It's not for Greg can't decide whether he goes in the squad. Greg might personally think he should be in the squad. He might not, I don't know. But it's Greg's job to continue his development and Rovers have got enough bodies because Moran can play there. It's more of a midfield three this season, I think. So you've got Smodix, you've got Moran, you've got the, the four more natural city midfielders as well. You've also got Joe Rankin Costello. I think they're well covered. They've got Buckley, they've got tied to a long-term contract who wants to play football. He's not going to be happy sat there. If if Jon picks Jay Garrett ahead of him or Sandro Tronstad ahead of him, that's his decision and Greg has to support that. So again, I thought he got slightly hard. I think Rovers as a club got harshly criticised with that decision. And just finally, credit to John Buckley for wanting to go and play football as well, which I... I've seen some people say he should have stayed and fought for his place. And it's you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. And I would rather say, well, do you know what? If Jon's made his position clear that John Buckley's currently fifth choice of the central midfielders and he wants to play football, I can't knock someone for wanting to do that. If we are all behind a player trading model, which is the sustainable future of Rovers, we are going to have to accept that players will come and go from time to time. So we've seen it with Thomas Kaminsky. You know, I've been quite open about my love for Thomas Kaminsky and I would have loved Thomas Kaminsky to stay. But sadly, we needed to generate some transfer funds. It was the right deal at the right time for Kaminsky to go to Luton. One of the goalkeepers was going to have to go. Absolutely. And John Buckley is another one that I put in this category. Footballing-wise, JDT has made the decision that John Buckley is 5th, 6th, 7th 
in the midfield list, the centre midfield list. You can agree with that or disagree with that. That is JDT's decision. That is the fact. In a player trading model, it makes absolutely no sense for John Buckley to sit in our under-23s generating no value for himself. He's just signed a new contract. So actually, going out on loan to Sheffield Wednesday, performing really well, generates value that when he comes back next summer from his loan, there are two choices. We've either got a really good player that's developed at Sheffield Wednesday that slots back into our midfield if we end up losing Adam Wharton, for example, or if the timing's right, the funding's right, the deal's right, we can say to Sheffield Wednesday or other clubs, he's a great championship performer, this one, give us 5 million, 6 million, 10 million, whatever the value is based on the value that he's generated because he's on a long contract. So I actually think the loan of John Buckley, based on the footballing side of things, was sensible in that regard. The bit where I think the criticism comes in, and I think JDT has been open about it, is he was expecting a body to come back in and fill the gap, not necessarily left by John Buckley in a positional sense, but in a numbers sense. He wanted another body to play with, didn't he? A a winger, I think it was, that Greg Broughton was on about. So I'm not going to get too exercised about the John Buckley deal. I actually think John Buckley is one of our most technically gifted footballers and should be in and around our first eleven. Uh, And I think there are reasons for that, that you could label at John Buckley and JDT. But the facts are he's not. So let's generate some value with him. Yeah, I completely agree. I think both sides, I don't think John Buckley's necessarily took every opportunity that's come to him. I also think that for me personally, I would have him ahead of one of, I think Transtad and Garrett are a little bit similar. So I would have probably had him for balance, but I haven't seen every game this season as of yet, so I, I'm, I'm inclined to trust the head coach who sees them every week in training, and that's his decision. Two games coming up this week, Ryan, so let's look ahead to those. Sunderland come to Ewood Park on Wednesday, the second return of Tony Mowbray, potentially the return of Bradley Dack, although he I noticed he wasn't involved against QPR at the weekend. I think Mowbray said he's a, a bit of a fitness doubt, but he should be okay to play. So it'll be interesting to see if he... He'll probably be on the bench if he is involved, see what reception he gets. You'd imagine it'll be very good, although there was a little bit of um, distaste about the uh, the comment about some people at the club, which which went um, which went a bit viral over the summer. I'm sure that'll be long forgotten and he'll get a great reception. They beat Queen's Park Rangers 3-1 at the weekend, albeit with QPR at 1-0 up, getting a man sent off. They've got very dangerous players. We saw that um, in the live game against... Uh, Southampton where they won 5-0 before the international break they've got pace on the counter-attack and if Rovers are going to play this end-to-end style it probably will suit Sunderland in transition as well with the likes of Jack Clark um, Abdullah Barr on that right-hand side Pritchard played very well as a, came on as a substitute at the weekend they've got athleticism at the back with Ballard and 9 it's going to be a really open game and a really interesting game because it's two teams in good form yeah, two teams in good form and and a game that ticks all my superstition boxes, doesn't it, with uh, Mowbray and, and Bradley Dack. And it'll be great to to give Bradley Dack an applause on Wednesday. You know, I hate it when, you know, ex-players that have served us really well are booed. And I heard a few boos for Lenihan actually on Saturday, which I just thought was bang out of order. I just think, you know, that's a guy who gave us 10 years of really good service. So I hope Bradley Dack gets an applause and then it's obviously down to business and down to football. Um, yeah, a dangerous game for us, Elliot, particularly if it, uh, if it does pan out like the Middlesbrough game as well, because I think Sunderland are potentially one of the most dangerous sides when a game is like that. And someone like Jack Clark in particular, um, you know, has the ability to run the length of the pitch and, and make things happen. So I think we're going to have to be really, really careful in that regard. Sunderland, I expect, very similar to Middlesbrough, to bring quite a few fans and make a good noise and and obviously have a good away day in that regard. So we're going to have to be on it and it's going to be an energetic game, isn't it? Because, you know, Sunderland have got a very similar profile to us in terms of the age of the squad and what they're trying to do and and the things that Tony Mowbray has taken there. And and obviously Tony Mowbray will know some of our players inside out as well and and potentially know how to, to match up against us. So a banana skin game, I would describe this as, but... I would say that any championship game this season, bar maybe the teams that were relegated from the Premier League um, at Ewood Park, I'm I'm feeling confident against any opposition because I think we invariably do do well at Ewood. So no reason to be blind panicking about Sunderland, but absolutely we've we've got to be wary of their threat on that counter-attack if it's an open game. And then on Saturday, they go to Ipswich, a trip to Portman Road. Ipswich have won 18 of their last 21 games recording, of course, before their midweek fixture. They're in great form. They've won five out of six this season. 
that's going to be a really tough place to go, isn't it? Because they're they've got a raucous crowd. It's it's a club that's on the up at the moment, and it's going to be a big test for this young group of players, particularly on the back of three games in seven days as well. Yeah, and I think history tells you that Rovers do sometimes struggle in, in games like that, particularly where there are the raucous crowds and, and teams in form. And, and Ipswich is a game that actually I'd worry about a bit more. And with what happened at Plymouth, for example, we've seen that Rovers can implode in, in some situations when the going gets tough. So it's absolutely vital for Rovers to basically not repeat what happened at Plymouth. So if we do start the game well, we've got to take a chance and silence that crowd. Else what happened at Plymouth will happen again at Ipswich. I've, I've got no doubt about that. Mm. Um, they're playing full of confidence, like what we did to Middlesbrough, where we're brave and we're pressing on them. They're going to do exactly the same to us and absolutely disrespect Rovers rocking up at town because... As you say, their home form is absolutely brilliant. So why are they fearing Blackburn Rovers when they've just lost 3-0 away at Plymouth in their last away game? So really, really important for us to show some resolution uh, and stand up in the early knockings of that game so that we can just grow into it. And like what we did at Watford, you know, if a game is 0-0 at half time and then you're going into that second half, then yes, you can nick a game 1-0 and, and win the game. So yeah, we, we've got to stand up on Saturday, but... I'm a bit anxious about it. I'm not going to lie because I've seen this with Rovers loads of times over the years. And, you know, we are a promoted side's dream sometimes, just Rovers rocking up at your place early on in the season. I've spoken about my aforementioned love for Rotherham United not going away from home there as well. So Rovers are just the type of side that you want to play at home sometimes, aren't they? And it's all set up for George Hurst to potentially score as well. I wasn't going to mention his name. You have. He might so not be fit. I'm not sure. Ball. He's not started the last few. He went off with an injury for the international break. I don't know if he'll <laughs> be fit for Saturday. But um, yeah, that that's set up for a Dakenhurst week potentially. Fingers it's crossed. Your that, fault. Fingers You've crossed. That's it. not the case. Um, <laughs> for Wednesday night, would you make any changes to the team? Obviously, we don't know at this stage. Recording early on Monday uh, morning, how fit Sam Gallagher and Lewis Travis are going to be. Um, Jon thought after the game he was hopeful they'd be okay but he'll get a full medical report today and we'll find out more when he does his pre-match press conference uh, Tuesday afternoon considering let's let's say they are okay or maybe they're at 60-70% what would your inclination be to do with the starting line? Um, I'd probably freshen up the attacking line certainly um, I think Moran I, I would bring in for Ty Dolan. Uh, I think Moran was maybe potentially um, unlucky not to, to have a starting position on Saturday. So I'd be bringing Moran in for Dolan. Not necessarily that Dolan did anything wrong, uh, but obviously missed a couple of those chances as well. So I'd be bringing in Moran on, on that side. If I'm thinking about Sam Gallagher and his fitness levels, and then I'm thinking about Talalovic and when to bring him in, I think it's potentially gentler for Talalovic at home to Sunderland than it is away at Ipswich. Mm. So I would it's hard just to saying, expect Gallagher to stop both of those games given the knock he picked up. Precisely. So I'd potentially be starting Talalovic at home to Sunderland, see if you can get anything out of Gallagher. If not, get him fit and ready for Ipswich, which will be a tough game and we will absolutely need his work rate for. Um, Lewis Travis will be a miss in the centre of the park against Sunderland. So um, I'd be wanting the bite of Jake Garrett or, you know, the the experience of, of Tronstad in the centre of the park. I'd be resisting the urge for JRC and, and Adam Wall. I've got a, a, a suggestion for you. I think Travis will probably be fit, is my gut feeling. I think Gallagher's yeah. more the one where you probably will freshen that up and see Televich. They could... And I don't, I don't necessarily always agree with doing this, but you could put Smodix off that left-hand side if Rovers yeah. are going to play in transition. And you could go with JRC, Wharton and Travis as the midfield free to yeah. bulk it up a little bit. But I'm thinking if Rovers are predominantly going to be playing maybe on transition, it's going to be a bit end-to-end. Smodix in that left channel is probably not a bad idea. If you were playing against a team that is more like to sit back, I wouldn't want Smodix in those areas because he's not got the natural pace to unlock a team. But I'm thinking if they're going to be in transition, maybe with JRC, he'd probably be in that left central midfield role with Travis on the right. So he could be overlapping overlapping around the side as well with Smodic coming inside. I think that would be the combination I'd go with if you're going to put JRC in midfield. Otherwise, I agree with you. I think you have to have Travis Wharton, Smodic, and then it's Andy Moran that comes in on the left-hand side. I don't see Travis coming out and JRC going straight in, as you've just said. I agree. Yeah. Yeah, and that's Modic's shout on the left-hand side. He, he likes that left channel as well. I, I think he does gravitate towards there when he's playing in his central position anyway. So that's a great shout as well if we're wanting to get JRC in the side and, and obviously keep Britain and Pickering in the full-back positions as well. 
I think we've got to resist the urge, obviously, to make loads of wholesale changes. So I think it would just be those where I just tweak it um, because I think there's a lot to be said for you know consistent lineups in the championship you see it over the years that the teams that are at the top end of the table you can pretty much name their starting 11 plus a couple of subs week in week out and I think Rovers have got to start moving into that position without you know massive wholesale changes and I think JDT probably secretly does know what his strongest starting 11 is he's just obviously managing it game by game with the squad that we've got and actually with the work rate that the lads are putting in as well. I think Callum Britton in your interview mentioned how knackered he was after Saturday. You know, that does take its toll in a three-game week. Yeah, absolutely. Let's have some pred- predictions then. Head on the block time. What are you going for <laughs> for this week? Uh, I fancy us to get the job done against Sunderland. I, I do like us at Ewood Park, and I think we've started the season well. Um, so I will say 2-1 again, I think. I think Sunderland are dangerous. Um I, th- I think they do offer a threat and I, I think they will breach us. But yeah, 2-1 Rovers against Sunderland. Ipswich? I can't see us winning. Um, I'm just going to state it. I just, I've seen it over the years with Rovers and it's just the type of place that regardless of personnel and regardless of how waxing lyrical I've just been about JDT and the squad this season, it's just a place I can see us crumbling at. So I'm going to say 2-0 Ipswich. And it's a long old way as well. It is a long old way. I'm already trying to look into whether I need to, whether I can get the train or whether I've got to drive, which means I've got to do all my work when I get back home. It's going to be <laughs> it's a bit of a logistical nightmare. Um, in terms of what I think, I think that I think the Sunderland game is going to be a tough one, and I think both teams are going to really go at it. I'm going to say I think that could be a draw. Um, having won at the weekend, I just wonder. If, I think Sunderland have got a little bit more quality in the final third than Middlesbrough. And it, although Rovers were excellent, if we're being fair and reflective, Borough could have scored two or three with the chances yeah. they created in that final half hour. I think if some of those chances fall to Sunderland attacking players in more confidence, I think they put them in the back of the net. So I'm going to go for a two-all draw in an entertaining Desmond at Ewood. And similar to you, I think they'll come unstuck at Ipswich. I just think with the three games in a week. Portman Road and the way Ipswich are playing at the moment, it's a young group of players. I think they'll lose. I don't think they'll get battered. I think 1-0 maybe to Ipswich, um, which doesn't... I'm predicting one point in the week, which doesn't sound great, but we've got to be realistic as well. So that's that's kind of what I'm predicting. I think... I definitely think they can beat uh, beat Sunderland, sorry, and that would be great. And if they took three points from the week, I'd be perfectly happy with that, to be honest. Anything at Ipswich is feels like a bit of a bonus when you're building all the context of the travelling, the young squad, three games in seven days. Um, so I'm going for a one-all draw and a, a narrow 1-0 defeat at Ipswich. And that rounds off the debut podcast of the Art and Labo podcast. Thank you for listening. Make sure you're subscribed um, on Apple. It's now on Spotify as well if you prefer to listen via Android. And uh, we'll have it through Google Podcasts very shortly soon as well. Make sure you're following the Lancashire Telegraph on Twitter at Blackburn Rovers and check out the site for the most comprehensive Blackburn Rovers coverage this season you can subscribe to the Lancashire Telegraph as well to support local journalism you'll get a better reading experience with less adverts and there'll be some subscriber only content and plenty more perks as well go to the lancashiretelegraph.co.uk slash forward slash subscribe and you'll get 15% off an annual subscription which works out at less than a pint per month thank you for listening and we'll catch you next week for another episode of the Arte Labor podcast 